Hello, thank you for tuning in to Greenlit's panel on getting your play on stage. My name's Grace O'Keefe, and I'm the head of community and theater at Greenlit, a crowdfunding platform designed by and for creatives. You can find out more about Greenlit by heading to our website at greenlit.com or finding us across social media at Greenlit Fund. Last week, I was lucky enough to host an incredible panel with some of the programmers from the best theaters and theater festivals around London. If you're a playwright, director, producer, or just a theater maker in general who wants to get their work on stage, then look no further. You'll be hearing from Carrie Lothian from Theater 503, Nick Connaughton from The Pleasance, and Adele Reeves from Vault Festival in a conversation about the current state of theater programming and what theater makers need to know. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you all for coming out on such a miserable Monday night. Um, I'm very impressed that you all made it. Um, yes, to uh, get your play on stage, we have this really exciting panel. I, can I just say I'm so excited to assemble such a great team. Uh, I'll start out, I guess, by introducing you all. Uh, first, we've got Carrie Lothian, yeah? <laughs> Nailed it. Um, who is the one of the producers at Theater 503. Uh, you're the, you head up programming line producing of in-house productions and supporting co-production, and you run the trainee assistant producer scheme. Um, that's quite a lot. And then you've got a slew of producing credits that are all very impressive. I didn't realize you did a ride. Great show. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have Adele, uh, who is the programming manager, Adele Reeves, <laughs> the programming, full name, uh, the programming manager for uh, Vault Creative Arts. Uh, you joined uh, the Vault team in July 2021 as the artist development coordinator and have just uh, transitioned to being the programming manager in 2022. And excitingly, and this is a good segue, you used to work at the Pleasance before that. Uh, <laughs> and following up, uh, we've got Nick Connaughton, who is the head of theater for the Pleasance Theater Trust. Um, and you oversee the organization both in London and for uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So we've got a really exciting lineup of producers and programmers who do exciting, interesting things. So I'm just going to start off by asking you all, how did you get into theater programming? So I guess um, when I became the producer at 503, that was the first time I have um, had a role in a theatre in a building. And so this is my first programming role in terms of in a theatre building. Um, previous to that, I was at a commercial company and therefore I, I suppose actually did a, a sort of a programming in terms of creating what was on that that commercial slate. Um, so yeah, kind of just fell into it, I suppose, really. Um, in terms of being a producer, that sort of, it comes hand in hand with that because you're um, part of that role is sort of selecting those projects that you want to take on, whether that's as an individual producer or as a theater or as a company. Um, so producing and programming very much go hand in hand, I guess. Somewhat similar. I started after my master's many moons ago, I went to the Pleasance and I was deputy box office manager for many moons as well and then I moved into arts industry management and did some general management cover and whilst I was there I was doing some script reading for yourself uh, and I started as a producer freelance um, and then I left to go be a freelance producer in some spectacular timing right before the pandemic um, so did as much as that as I could before the pandemic and then after that needed a job job again because 
producing during the pandemic is not fun. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when I started at Vault uh, and I was artist development coordinator, but part of the programming team. Um, but then I moved on to become a full time member of the team as a programming manager. Um, so now I head up the arts industry and program and artist development and kind of lots of different little hats. But same as you said, kind of a lot of producing kind of helped me get into that and then doing a lot of script reading on the side. I kind of fell into it, so I never uh, trained in theatre originally. So uh, in Australia, I trained in film and did uh, a three-year directing degree. Then realised it takes about five years to make a film, and I do not have the attention span to do that. <laughs> Probably thing to realise at the end of a very expensive three-year degree. Uh, the transition for that worked for about a year in film TV in Australia, so in broadcast. Uh, and then decided to move to the UK because there's more theatres in Hackney than there are in Sydney. <laughs> uh, uh, I spent kind of the first five years over in the UK working for Shakespeare Schools Festival, which is now called Shakespeare Schools Foundation, but it's uh, Europe's largest youth drama project, which is great. So I basically got to travel the UK, going to about 180 different theatres and getting sense of how kind of different organisations work. Uh, then after that, I went to the Arcola in Dalston. I spent five years there. So firstly, I was the head of engagement there, looking after the youth community in uh, programs. Then I looked after the new work program and eventually was the producing programmer for the small studio, the studio two, before I then joined Pleasant. So again, kind of a long roundabout way where I never intended to kind of be in a position where I was programming, but uh, kind of fell into it, mainly by festivals, really. So kind of where I ended up with Pleasant. Amazing, amazing. So uh, you all program, I, I mean, I think some of the, the premier, you know, seasons, festivals, etc. in the UK. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Um, how, what, when you are programming these festivals, when you're programming your season, what makes a play stand out? Is there any particular genres you're looking for? Is there any particular names attached? Um, what, yeah, what makes a play grab your attention? So our remit is both, as Theatre Five or Three, is both very specific and very broad because we are um, the home of new writers. So we specifically only program plays by people who have never had a play on anywhere else before. Everyone has to be making their professional full-length writing debut to in order to be programmed. So firstly, that is very important because if you don't fit that remit, um, then... Um, we're not we're not able to con to consider the show but then in terms of the actual plays themselves it is incredibly wide ranging um we are a 64 seat studio theater above a pub um so it's it's a very small venue it's a very small stage but we really don't want that to limit anyone's imaginations and we've landed a woman on mars we've you know um brought out a a, a giant uh needle uh that you know went into someone's back when she was giving birth to a baby that ended up looking like Donald Trump. Like, <laughs> you know, we we really, like the, truly the limits, the limit is endless. The budget is not, but you know, people's imagination <laughs> is. Um, so in terms of building a season, um, it's important to not have too many plays that are the same um, or sort of too similar, I suppose, in topic um, or theme or, we also try to make sure that there is a, you know, representation and a variety within the people who are telling those stories, the writers and the teams who are attached to them. Um, so it really depends on what else has come in, which obviously somebody submitting or kind of pitching something doesn't necessarily have control over. Um, so that's not a very useful thing to kind of have as advice, but also just like kind of useful to know that a lot of the time, you know, as programmers, you've got all of these different things going on in your head as you're as you're reading a play. And it's sometimes not just about that piece. However, we 
try we program kind of roughly a year in advance or we try to for our three week long runs which are our full length runs um and everything for us starts with the play and generally we will read the play first decide that we love the play and we really want to program or sometimes in-house produce the play um and then it'll be looking at okay so which season does it slot into um is the way that we try and do it so we try and base it all on the pieces themselves um, to then kind of create that puzzle rather than people coming into us with a piece who and they're trying to fit in the puzzle. Does that make sense? I just suddenly started going off in a metaphor and I wasn't sure if that made any sense. But we're going to go with it. Yes. Um, just going off something you said, when we're kind of talking about when lots of the same kind of things, thank you very much, Nick, are coming in. So if you're, if you're kind of responding to something that's happening in the world, a lot of the time, especially for somewhere like Vault Festival, we're reading a huge mass of applications in a short time where mostly they've been created over the same time. So there's going to be a lot of crossover content. We're kind of looking for things that are saying something new about a prominent subject. So kind of doing your research about what else is going on and what other kind of things people are writing or other kind of plays that have been going on on your topic and kind of see what why you're writing your play. What what are you adding to this particular topic if, if you're kind of responding to something that's in the current media or going on in the world. Um, for Vault Festival, um, we're also a home of kind of new and early career artists. It's not so much, it doesn't have to be your first play, but it's definitely on the kind of early career side of things. So a big part of our criteria is how useful the opportunity would be to you. So if you're coming along and it feels like Vault isn't really the place for you, you've kind of done a fair amount of work before in similar types of venues, then even if it's a great play, we might prefer someone who this would be a real step up for over that work. Um, so you kind of, you have to know where you're pitching to and know exactly what kind of level and what kinds of work that don't try and fit your project into any kind of programming opportunity. You have to really know what, um, what the kind of specific things the venue's looking for. And a lot of the time that stuff is easy to access, like for Vault, um, as an example, we have all that criteria on our website and it is clearly laid out. So you can kind of look at your project and see how it responds to that. I'm trying to think of any other helpful, helpful tips. I, this is really basic, but if your play has a great title, I'm going to remember it so much more than if you write something obscure or if it's like trying to be funny, but it doesn't end up being too funny. So I'd say take your title and ask a lot of people like if it stands out, if if they're going to remember it, if it's if they get the joke or if, you know, if the reference is too obscure. But when when I'm reading, when our team is reading like 800 applications, those things stick out. And also you're you're going to be writing a really kind of sadly short blurb about your play make sure that is super 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 tight and again get as many people as you can to get eyes on it because that's what we're going to read we are sadly never going to be able to have time to read everyone's full script so make sure you're attaching if you're going to attach your script i generally say let us know which which section you want us to read or just attach a few pages that you think best represent it because for a festival like us, we're not going to be able to get around to reading the whole thing. So try and highlight your best bits in, you know, in that snappy amount of word count or attachment as you can. 
What about you, Nick? What do you think? Not gonna lie, I'm gonna agree with Adele. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I programmed at least ten shows based on the title being really cool. Yeah, when you're especially when you're in festival context as well. So we programmed in Edinburgh two hundred and seventy-five shows that eat from kind of fifty seat venues to fifteen hundred seat venues. And that makes up part of a bigger festival of about four and a half thousand shows. So in a kind of festival context, a strong image and a good title do stand out. There are lots of plays with like one word, slightly vague titles like blush and seek and sweep, which are lovely titles that stand out slightly less than what I've programmed this year. Five plays have the same title and then it Every year we have three plays that have the exact same title and have to have a really awkward conversation with each player who gets to keep their original title. Yeah. Two years ago it was Wild Swimming. There was three shows called Wild Swimming. This year there was three shows called Head Case. Um, so there's always, but, uh, and then uh, on the title thing, that it does help you stand out. Um, I think we're slightly similar to Bolt, but slightly different in a way that, so we approach our programming based on our audience. So we have a system that I've crudely called buckets. And I've divided our audience into buckets, uh, which includes people that we know we have an existing audience for. And that might be based on content, that might be based on form, that might be based on theme, uh, and then some buckets that we're trying to grow our audience in. Uh, and then what we're doing during the application period is trying to find the best example of a play for each bucket. Um, so the example I always give is, I will just about always program a really good play about people that ride bicycles. Because I know in Edinburgh I can sell 60 seats a day for 29 days to the cycling community of Edinburgh. <laughs> so we are looking for a very good example of bicycle plays. We're looking for or two plays. We're looking for uh, contemporary physical drama. We're looking for a specific kind of issue-based um, kind of themes throughout the program. We're looking for queer-led work. We're looking for global majority-led work. Um, and each of those buckets is not one bucket either. We're looking for different examples of that kind of work that will meet different audiences that we know we have plus the audiences we're looking to grow each year. Um, we do read all the scripts that come through to us that we program, uh, but uh, increasingly video is becoming a really important way that we're seeing work as well, and that doesn't need to be final um, productions. Uh, we're watching a lot of filmed R&Ds, we're watching a lot of filmed reading, so if you're doing any kind of development on any of your work at any stage, just film it, uh, and don't worry about sending it in saying, it's not as good as I'd like it to be, it's a R&D. One's uh, imagining that there's going to be like a chairlift and um, <laughs> confetti pants. We can use a lot of imagination. So, capture as much uh, different forms of how you're working on your work, submit your scripts, submit extracts if there's certain areas where you're like, this is what I want to be. We often program, I think you're similar, so we'll often program work that isn't yet made. Um, and in that instance, it's tell us what you think the work's going to be when it is made and tell us how it's going to be made and what your journey is to making it so we can get a sense of that's realistic that you'll achieve getting to the end. I probably spend more of my time telling people not to go to the fringe than I do to go to the fringe. Um, so it is also just being realistic about timelines because Edinburgh used to be kind of a great place to test out a new idea. It is now a showcase platform. So it's making sure whatever you're taking is as good, is as tried as tested, is as ready, and that you are as tried and tested as ready as you can be at that point. I think it is a long slog. Um, we pick up a lot of work from Vault. We pick up a lot of work from other theatres around the UK. Um, yes, that's a few things. No, amazing. I'll, I'll actually jump up 
jump off of that and ask, um, since I know, obviously, Carrie, you don't necessarily program a festival, but you do a lot of, uh, we did previews with Theater 503 for my show that was at the Fringe. So we all, you know, have some kind of festival experience. Um, What would you say, you know, we've got a lot of writers and theater makers in the audience. Why should they take it to a festival, whether that be Fringe or Vaults or, uh, you know, Brighton or various other festivals around uh, the country, rather than have, um, you know, a a, a week long slot at a theater uh, like Theater 503 or the Pleasance or does, Vaults does some type of programming year round. Yeah, we're, it's, a, it's a beginning. It's beginning thing. <laughs> Festivals are flagship and we just opened Makes a small sense. little venue where we're starting to Very nice. Very nice. But yeah, any type of, you know, small London pub theater or, you know, wherever is local to you run. Well, what's the different benefits and downsides for theater makers? I feel like, yeah, I'm very biased because I've worked for festivals my whole career. Um, But you go to a festival not just for the programming opportunity but for what's around it so using vault as an example it's because people come to vault as a hub and you're not just there to showcase your play but you're there to meet other people and see a heck ton of other work in a short period of time so it's kind of it's like similar to edinburgh but a little bit more accessible for people who are living here but it's kind of the whole the whole experience of it it depends what you want from it if you're just wanting you've done your show elsewhere and you just want to showcase it and get programmers in if that's all you want to do then fair enough just go to a venue but if you're looking to do all the kind of ancillary things meet with different kinds of industry do workshops see other types of shows kind of collaborate with other artists then that's that's the kind of opportunity i would think you should go for kind of jump off that um, i think it's also working out what kind of festival it is and what you want to do with your show um, it depends on how long it is too. If it's a two-act play, most festivals are looking for kind of 60, 70 minutes, so straight away, that probably rules it out. But it is kind of what stage is your show and what are you looking to do? So um, music kind of Edinburgh is an example because it's what I know best is it's really expensive to take a show to the Fringe. It does cost the same amount as doing a show in uh, anywhere else in the UK. You just can't get subsidy from the Arts Council. So the myth that Edinburgh is more expensive than doing a show anywhere else is untrue. It's just you can't get subsidy like you can elsewhere. So if you're taking the risk of doing a show where the majority of the money is going to be either commercially raised or fundraised, then you need to be really clear on what you're looking to get out of the festival. Um, and that's where most of the time I meet companies and say, why do you want to go to the French? And they're like, I'd just like to meet other artists. And like, you can go on a much nicer holiday for half the money. <laughs> so if you're looking to tour your show nationally or internationally, Edinburgh's a great spot. If you're looking to uh, uh, make contacts with film, TV, radio, then Edinburgh's a really good spot for that. If you're looking for a transfer into London, Edinburgh's not historically a great spot to take your show. Um, so it kind of depends what it is you're looking to do. Whereas um, uh, Kerry's Theatre has an excellent track record of transferring shows all across London <laughs> and around the country. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess we so we we don't program a, a sort of a festival per se, although it kind of is a lot of like a festival. <laughs> uh, we do we do a sort of a, a program of, of short runs um, in July, which end up ends up actually holding quite a few pre Edinburgh previews. So it's it's a useful it's a useful spot for that. Um, it's also because we are because we are you know like I said the home of new writers, and it's very much about um, that writer support. Um, 
we as a venue we give quite a lot of um artist support to the shows that are coming in and um offer quite a sort of comprehensive package of support around that for those short runs as well as for the longer runs um which i think is semi-unique um particularly sort of writer focused but um across the board but um it's definitely different from doing a full festival and like i said a lot of people use it as sort of preview opportunities to help sort of build the show to grow the show to get it to that point so that when you're at edinburgh and you're doing that that real sort of showcase of this is it this is this is the show um you're you're you feel like you've you've got it to that to that place amazing and i didn't ask you that or i didn't say uh in our email earlier that i would ask you this question so i'm going to put you on the spot um but what kind of support do each of your organizations offer i know there are schemes like the theater 5035 is it the vaults five as well Ooh. And then the Pleasance has it's the Pleasance Associate. <laughs> Is it the associate company yeah. or? So- I can go first. So uh, in London we have our main scheme, which is called our London Associate Artists, which closes in one day, uh, which is uh, focused uh, primarily about getting a piece of work developed uh, in our space in London. So it doesn't really focus on anything to do with what we do in Edinburgh. Uh, the rest of our support schemes are quite tailored to the fringe. So I think we invested about £150,000 in shows going to the fringe in 2022 this year, or they just went fast. Uh, but they're all in quite targeted categories. So we have the Charlie Hartill Theatre Reserve, which is for um, theatre makers where 50% of the companies within five years of graduation, so emerging makers uh, who are doing a long run, so are going to do the full festival with at least four people on stage. So we're looking at large cast emerging theatre makers, the Charlie Hartill Theatre Reserve. We have the Charlie Hartill Comedy Reserve. There's quite a few of them, sorry. <laughs> Charlie Hartill Comedy Reserve, which is for comedians who've not yet done their first full hour, and we take four comedians up as part of a mixed bill. We have the Generate Fund, which is for Global Majority Makers, which is taking two shows that already exist. So they're two shows that have premiered and done at least two performances. We take up the showcase shows at the festival. We have the LET Award that's currently open with uh, Les Enfants Terribles, which is looking for slightly more experimental theatre and theatre makers, which is supported by both LET and ourselves to go to the festival. We have more, and they're all going to come out in a PDF on the 12th of December. <laughs> <laughs> Most of those are Edinburgh-related, our London specifics, our associate artists, and we do quite a bit of kind of um, uh, pro- support around our programming seasons. So we have three spaces in London, so we have a 50-seat work-in-progress comedy studio, we have a 75-seat thrust studio where we do a lot of emerging and mid-career company work, and then we have a 54-seat circular stage cabaret-seated uh, main theatre with a six by six revolve, which tends to be a lot of work that looks at the intersection between uh, what we call kind of nightlife and the arts, so gig theatre, comedy, drag, cabaret, um, anything slightly outside of the traditional play. Um, and each of those have kind of certain packages of support around how we work with those companies. And usually at different points of the year, we open for applications for each of those different strands. It's a lot. Uh, Vault. So yeah, as we mentioned, we have the Vault 5, which is a scheme for um, artists of kind of any different strand, whether that's um, a writer or a producer or a cabaret artist, comedian, etc., where it's a nine-month mentorship scheme. So you're paired up with a mentor kind of after consultation. You let us know what kind of mentor you're looking for, whether it's a writer partner or if you're specifically looking for a puppetry mentor, etc. We find one and we fund that for nine months and then you have access to um, specifically curated sessions with the members of our team and sometimes outside speakers and you get marketing support, uh, etc. 
Um, so that's the Vault 5. Um, we have the Vault Young Company, which just started this year, which is similarish to Charlie Hotel, but it's um, it's for 18 to 25-year-olds. And then uh, a company comes together and a play is created and devised for Vault Festival. Uh, we have our new writers, new critics, new producers, and new directors schemes, um, which are on pause this year, uh, post-pandemic, but should be opening again next year, which is a... Um, I can't remember how long I haven't done it whilst I've worked there, but eight month ish scheme um, where the you end up doing a showcase where you kind of work together as a writer, director, producer team. And then the new critic scheme um, kind of works over Vault Festival reviewing shows and they have mentors. Uh, and that is open. You check our website. I like it. Um, what else do we have? We also, as well as Vault Festival, we have a pinch of Vault Festival, which is kind of like a Vault Light Festival where it's for scratch work, which we did this year in June, but we'll probably do it uh, in May next year. So that's kind of, it might be work that's going on to Vault, but it's the kind of scratch side of work um, from our Vault community. Um what else? I mean, with our festival, we have a huge program of kind of uh, artist workshops and networking events. And kind of we have at the minute, we have a season of pre-festival online workshops, which look towards the festival, helping you prepare for uh, prepare your show for the festival. And then within the festival, we have all sorts of kind of online and in-person different clinics, workshops, networking, etc. My, my answer would be much shorter because we only have a few specific sort of schemes. Um, the one that probably relates to programming the least, although actually saying that does all link, everything links back. Um, so we run a trainee assistant producer scheme, which is a year long um, scheme, uh, paid traineeship for two uh, people who would like to learn how to be a producer and are committed to um, pursuing a career in theatre producing. Um, I run that whilst also doing everything else I do at the venue. Um, it's also how I started in theatre, uh, was doing that scheme um, back in the day when it was a six month unpaid internship. Um, but it is no longer um, one of the first things I did when I got there. Um, it is now a year long paid traineeship, um, which is, yeah, that's one that's one thing that we do. Um, I was going to say that's at least related to programming, although actually quite a lot of the trainees who have come out of that scheme have gone on to produce shows at 503. Um, so kind of links um, and then the other two main things that we do are both writer related so one of them is the international playwriting award which we run every two years the winner of that gets um i think it's a six thousand pound prize and their play staged at 503 and produced in-house um by me um and then the other one is the 5035, which is a 18 month scheme for writers, again, who have not yet had their first full length play debut. Uh, you apply with an idea for a play and pitch an idea. And uh, the sort of second round of interviews is a sort of writing a few pages of, of that of that dream script, I suppose. And then um, speaking with uh, Lisa, our artistic director and Steve, our literary manager, and then um, the five people who are selected each get a commission of I think three thousand pounds and to write that pay, to write that play um, over that eighteen months with the support of our literary team and um, sort of external mentoring as well sort of bringing in additional people um, for that and we generally tend to program at least one of those plays coming out of it the last the last lot we've so far programmed three of them and it's quite likely that we'll end up programming at least one more. Um, 
one of them, one of the writers is already ineligible because she's gone off and written a brilliant um, one one woman play uh, that was at the bush uh, called Lava. Um, so yeah, Benet's already already off smashing it, so no longer eligible. Um, but the and of the the team this the five three five this year again quite a few of them are already out doing brilliant things in the world um tabby lamb for example uh, because Ta- happy meal has already gone off and done brilliant wonderful things um yeah 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 it was in about five what is about the fives magical number um yeah there's lots and uh, lots of them are already kind of getting more into sort of film and TV things as well. So it's a really great thing because we're like, yes, your career development. Oh, we can't stage your play anymore. It's real. That's the, that's our biggest, that's our biggest issue is like we support two people who are just too brilliant and they go off and have brilliant success um, before we get to them. But anyway, um, yes, we generally end end up um, programming at least one of the plays that comes out the five through five, if not more. So yes, but I will, stress that that is absolutely not the only way that plays get programmed is um coming from the play programming oh my gosh coming from the playwriting award or from the five through five is there's also uh also from lots of other different places as well um but yeah yeah it's a good question um we do we currently it's currently closed because of the playwriting award because of the last uh, round that's the only time we shut it for a while um, and we're also kind of doing a little bit of tweaking um, to kind of bring the programming and the literary portals kind of together on the back end which is very boring but will hopefully make my life oh my god so much easier but we'll see um, but yes we we have open submissions we have an unsolicited portal which is for anyone to submit their script um, and for that you don't need to have a team attached if you're a writer um that is a this is my play um i would love feedback on it i would love to know if it's something that is of interest to you for the future everything that is sent to us is guaranteed to be read that goes to our team of readers is read by at least two readers to start with and then if it's sort of bumped up it's read by two senior readers and then if it's bumped up again it's sort of read by the programming team and and the literary team um well as i say this i make it sound like there's so many people um we're a team of 10 of which four of us are full-time so it's a lot um but um yeah the all of the scripts that come into us are are read um partly by the readers and partly by the team um we're we're potentially this is this is the first time the first time i've said this we're potentially it has been like kind of open year round before we're potentially thinking about moving to a model where it's sort of um submission windows and sort of channeling things a little bit more there perhaps but I'd be really interested to know people's thoughts on this, actually. Um, perhaps sort of focusing, giving people sort of more of a focus of, of when to submit and things like that. We're, we're very at the very sort of early stages of talking about that. So very interested to know what any writers sort of think about whether they like to know that something's there all the time or whether they like to have focus to a deadline. I imagine everyone's answer is different because that's always the way. But yes, um, good question. At the moment, we do, but we currently don't. But it will be reopening um, probably before Christmas. Are you still doing the rapid write responses as yes, well? Yes, yes, we do. Yes, thank you. I forgot about rapid write response. <laughs> Thanks. That's like the biggest part. Um, that's like the biggest thing we do. So we run a scheme called Rapid Write Response, which is t- uh, tied in with our three week, all of our three week runs. And um, all anyone who identifies as a writer would like to identify as a writer, um, it can sign up to receive, um, kind of be signed up to 
buy a ticket for six pounds to one of our preview performances and then to write a 10 minute response piece to that play it can be anything that you like it can be responding to a particular character it can be responding to a a particular theme just a line that is said anything but it needs to sort of come from the play um and we get Roughly around six, uh, around fifty submissions. Although the last one we did, we got sixty-eight, which was a lot for four people to read in a week. Um, they were all ten-minute plays, but still quite a lot. Um, so we, yeah, we get those submissions, um, and so you have kind of from the Tuesday first preview until the Monday of the next week to write and submit. Then we have three days to read them. <laughs> uh, then we pick them all, or we pick six out of those 68 in the last case um and then those six plays get match made with a director and then they have then have a week to rehearse the piece and then it gets staged on top of our on our stage on top of the set of the show that inspired it on the sort of sunday and monday just after the show closes um it's a really it's a really cool thing it's such a brilliant opportunity for people to work with people they've never worked with before because you don't get a choice over who you're over who who your writer and director are um you're sort of thrust together but we hope in uh in what has always worked out to be a really brilliant way and um lots of really brilliant partnerships have come from that um we had a play on um a few years ago called juve which which was um, written by Yasmin Joseph and directed by Rebecca Murrell, and they first met at Rapid Write Response. Um, so it's a really brilliant birthplace for that sort of thing. Act, uh, how do you get involved in Rapid Write Response? So you can sign up on our website. Thank you, Nick. Um, yes, I was going to say, I feel uh, in terms of like short form work, um, we, obviously we've just talked about rapid rate response. Um, I know, Adele, you were just saying at vaults you have in May uh, or you're, you're going to have in May. Are, are those short form works the... Um, it's not short. It's just kind of very early stages. Early stages. Around 45 minutes <laughs> or so. It's about half an hour, 45 minutes. But in vault festival, I know there's a few like short form, like I just saw, I've seen on Instagram some people posting about kind of... Uh, yeah, and like like new writing, like shorter bits. And I know I've seen some at the Pleasance as well. We also do an icon Pleasant Scratch, which is primarily, it's less for text-based work and it's more kind of maker-led work. So a lot of people kind of making solo shows or collaborative or visual shows or device shows. And it's usually 10 minutes from that show. We're going to be doubling the amount we do next year. So we usually do three a year. We're going to do six a year next year. Kind of two nights each application window. So we're in a similar situation where we read 80 applications and only have six slots. It's the same amount of work to read 80 applications and select 12 as it's to read 80 applications and select six. So we're going to select 12. (laughs) Definitely, if you're a writer, don't sleep on short form because that's how you kind of make these connections. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, at least one of the shows in our Fringe program this year came out of Pleasant Scratch as well. Yeah, I was going to say, like I said, Rapper Response, um, like Yas and and Becca are really good. Um, example but also like other writers like uh, we had a play on this year called um, Tapped by Katie Redford her first ever piece on stage was a rapid write response um, one of the winners of one of our previous playwriting wars Andrew Thompson his first ever thing on stage was a rapid write response um, they're they're really helpful um, sort of playgrounds and, and breeding grounds for artistic relationships but also your own sort of honing your own craft I guess as well 
Amazing. And then I'm also throwing another question I didn't warn you about. Of. What are some red flags in a play that you read? Say it's an excellently written play, but maybe it's a cast size of 30 and you don't have a stage space or there's a ton of music that needs to be licensed. Um, what, you know, as, as there's a lot of writers in the room, should people watch out for to avoid? Cast size. <laughs> I think the number one thing that catches us out, so especially when we're doing it, well, even in London, uh, I've become quite strict on trying to only program work that I believe can be sustainably produced, wherein everyone is being paid at a registered uh, and agreed rate, and that doesn't stand a super unreasonable chance of sending the producer bankrupt, uh, which usually is limited classes. So our main house is 154 seats. I've produced one show with 10 actors, and I lost a bucket load of money. So we will never be doing that ever again. So it's just thinking about what's realistically the cast size to the budget to the finances of your show. The biggest red flag in applications is people um, not quite thinking through the economics of what they're asking for. So we want to do a 10-hander in a 50-seater in Edinburgh. Unless you have like 45 grand to burn through, that is a bad idea. <laughs> Going off of things that just don't fit, like I'm thinking more of applications than just reading scripts, but if you seem like someone who just does not understand what festival or the venue is, if, if your work is just clearly not going to fit in our spaces, especially at Vault Festival where it's such specific spaces and there's such it's a great space but there's such limitations with the the atmosphere and the size and the tech capabilities so if you're trying to just pigeonhole your show into an opportunity that just doesn't fit it like it's a clear red flag because it feels like you don't you're just kind of putting out anywhere and you're not even trying to fit to where you're um, three applying. three venues, I'd say, go and see a show in them before you apply. It is amazing the number of people that happen. Uh, and some of the questions will be things like, can we leave in a giant 200-litre pool on the stage throughout the festival? <laughs> no. Um, or similarly, I'm sure with Theatre 503, it's understanding the constraints of the room that you're applying towards. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because... Um, I mean, at the point at which you're applying for programming, and and this isn't just a this is my script, this is my idea, this is what I, this is you know what I want to see. At the point of applying for programming, um, you would you should you should be taking into account very much the the space that you're that your program that you're looking for the play to be in. Um, we would hope that there would be some sort of team attached, um, a sort of uh, something that I'm I'm quite wary of just because I know the the strain uh, that it can take is writers who say I'm going to write the piece I'm going to direct the piece I'm going to produce the piece um, because it's it's an incredibly incredibly difficult thing to do for a full sort of three week run so things like that would always be a i you know even if we love the piece it's a let's have a conversation about that is that because you feel like you don't have people that can we connect you with those people is that because you um, feel like uh, you don't you can't you don't have the budget or the money to, to pay those people how can we help you with fundraising like we'll, we'll ask those questions rather than just sort of um, completely you know turn turn it turn it away um, if it's a piece that we really really love but um, I would yeah definitely take into account what it is that you're applying with the venue that you're applying to or the festival that you're applying to and um, what that means on a, on a larger scale um, which obviously comes 
after you've actually written a play, which can feel like a completely different process than to to trying to get it on. Um, so it's in, and I and I mass I massively. Um, f- like sort of feel that there's there's just such a difference and it's, it's a different way it's a different way of thinking but I think those writers who who really can um tap into you know that other side um it really helps and makes a lot of sense then later on when you're kind of talking to a director and a producer and you and you can have those conversations about the venues that you think that it would be good at and you can and why um and yeah and, and why we were saying um, with the kind of cast size, it does. If you've written a play that had needs ten performers to do, that doesn't mean that you should hack that play and make it a one verse play. It just means it may not be the right play for that these contexts sense. that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, it's not a. I've written this brilliant play. I love it the way it is. It needs ten actors. That's not saying change that play. It's just saying it's probably not, definitely not the right play for your first couple of shows unless you're playing like seven hundred and fifty seats at the fringe, mm. and probably not right for any of our states. But they're it'll be harder to find the right venue for it, but then write another little two-hander so that when that gets on and you win tons of awards, you can give a big producing company like The National your ten-hander to stage. <laughs> so thinking a little bit about not throwing one, uh, the baby out of the bathwater, but just being slightly strategic and where you're pitching your shows. I think I've just thought of a real red flag for me is when people kind of over preview their show if they think they have to try and get as many little runs on as possible before... Um, the festival is on that kind of worries us that you've tapped out your audience i'd rather you do just one or two nights somewhere or you're still working on it rather than having done this in three different pub theaters already by the time you come to vault because again we want to make sure it's financially viable for us and for the artist and if your audience sadly a lot of the time it is still going to be friends and family and the people that you know and if you've tapped out all of those people by the time you get to do your week's run then it's not good for anyone. So that so it might seem that if you've put it on as much as you can, that seems like it's you know it's a good thing that it's been programmed by other people, but that also can work um, against your favour. That's a good example of picking the right festival. Because if you've done your show lots of one nighters or small runs in London, I'd be really excited by that to take it to Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, because it shows that the show's really well worked in, it's better in, people have really enjoyed it, given it lots of tests in front of different audiences, and maybe it's looking for a new and different audience. So again, it's just finding the right festival that feels right for where you're at. Amazing. Well, we'll, we'll return to our regularly scheduled questions. Um, and this is my last question before I turn it over to the audience. Um, but what is exciting you about the future of your program um, or the future of theatre in general? Um, what's exciting me? Uh, this has come up more and more um, as I've been working in theatre over the last X amount of years is the conversations around accessibility in theatre. It's really exciting me that this is starting to be something that artists are coming to us for at a really early stage rather than right before their run saying, oh, and we're just thinking about accessibility, like what can we do to have a BSL interpreter? But now we're having companies come to us and say, how can we work with you to develop our show so that it's embedded? What what are the resources we can use way, way earlier in the stage to make that, make our show accessible for the people making it and for the people seeing it? Uh, and I'm really enjoying having these conversations because I've seen a real shift in mentality about it. I feel like it used to be a really 
positive thing if you're just thinking about it at the end and how you can get your caption show or your BSL show. But now it's starting to be much more kind of expected that this is something you think about um, the whole way through and that venues support you in that as well. I know it's something that we're always trying to work harder to do, be able to support that on our side and not just expect the artists to bring it all. It's difficult and it, a lot of the time it comes with funding, which is not always successful. But that's that those kind of collaborations and that kind of thinking is making me quite happy. Um, I would say the, so I think the season that we've got coming up is such a, it's such a really good example of, um, sort of lots of different things that, that we do as a venue, um, coming together, lots of, lots of changes and improvements across the industry starting to feel like they're kind of making a bit of a difference and a bit of a um, change in terms of like the representation of the stories that we're getting through is just so much better than it was um but also we now have the ability to support that because we have you know built um a network of directors and producers who also who want to support that work as well so that feels really exciting i think with the next season we're starting with an in-house show um which is called the boys are kissing which is about which is a, a queer epic um about two boys kissing in the school playground and um their parents being told to do something about it um and then two queer angels come down from the heavens and blow the bloody doors off um and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun and that's written by one of, of our 5035 writers there's an in-house show and then the next show is called my brother's keeper which is about um refugees uh living in a hotel in dover um feeling very very topical at the moment um and that is one of another one of our previous five previous five through five writers the next show is a show called stray dogs which is a um sort of medieval epic i suppose which is super interesting haven't really seen a lot of that on stage at all um and that came to us completely as a sort of unsolicited script um and then uh we have a play called fawn which is in partnership with cardboard citizens uh, written by vinnie heaven which is um about homelessness and the trans experience and the sort of intersection of that um which is incredible and then we have a show called helen which is one of the very fun of the previous i think the 2018 playwriting award no 2020 playwriting award like semi-finalists and then another show for unknown reasons which is a 2020 award like semi-finalists so it feels like all of our different programming sort of things coming together um and really sort of representing um what what we do best as a venue but also like with the industry at its best as well and and like creatives and writers and the sort of representation of that at its best so being like from a selfish perspective of like what am i excited about at 503 um the next season very much um yeah very exciting uh, i might start personally go to the company and then come back so i definitely came back from kind of coming out of the pandemic going i think i might hate theater <laughs> which is an occupational hazard in my job. Um, but I think part of that was I was very much someone kind of personally who I've worked a lot in kind of traditional kind of well-made play, um, beginning, middle, end, uh, very writer-led. Um, one of the kind of joys of where I work at the moment is that probably about a third of the work that we do is kind of from a traditional kind of writer-led model. Um, and what's kind of then exciting, uh, but the lovely bit, the kind of the organisational bit is 
because we program about 260 shows in Edinburgh and another probably 200 in London, I'm not programming for myself. So it's uh, actually not a question of, is this exciting for me? I always try and flip it back and go, who's this for? And it would have, it, do, do I think this could be exciting for them? Um, so on that front, every time we open something that uh, kind of touch on some other points, which was a biggest hint, I think, when applying to a festival or applying to really any organization, is if you have a sense of who you think your audience might be for the show, tell us a bit about who they might be. Don't afraid to be specific. The only thing that drives me mad is anyone that says my show is for everyone. Like, I hope everyone goes, but give us a little bit more of a steer of who you really hope was in that audience. Uh, and then that person, I'm getting really excited about shows that could only be on a stage. So that what is it that means they can't be film, they can't be TV? Um, and side interesting note is definitely this year in Edinburgh, we found that audiences were looking for joy, community, and a sense of kind of inter interactions, probably not the right word, but some kind of communal experience with joy. So that's why I think audiences have been getting excited by it. That's what I was thinking about joy the other day is, I'm really excited these days that there's so many more uh, plays that are about queer joy because there's been so many plays about queer trauma and I find it's just been so nice having these discussions with people and that there's all these plays and works and projects coming out that's just about the joy of being a queer person and I love that because we need the happy queer plays as much as or more even than we just need the queer trauma plays. so that's that's a personal thing that I like. Amazing. Well, I think uh, we're now going to open it up to the audience. Does anyone have any questions for the panel? I'm just going to repeat the question real quick so it's on the microphone. So how often are the shows uh, that you program things that you were invited to see at smaller venues? So we see, read, or watch everything we program except for the odd one where the title's really cool. And I like <laughs> um, so that we have kind of like about quite a, there's three of us kind of in the theatre, four of us really in the theatre team. We have com head of comedy. We have all of our staff go and see shows. Um, but I'd say on the flip side is I probably receive twenty invites a day. Um, so if we can't make it, please try and find a way to film it in any way, shape, or form, or whatever it is. Um, because we will watch it. Um, so yeah, we can't always get there. And I know that people are upset when we can't always make it. If you can capture it in some sense, then we can still be engaged in that process of watching it. Yeah, filming it is the most helpful thing that you could do. Um, I think at Vault, we see things a lot less because it's a lot often a lot earlier in the process. So they might, as I said, we're not looking for shows that have had lots of previews. But that being said, we do go up to Edinburgh and I don't know, about 20%, that might be completely arbitrary, of shows we do go and see and then program. So if if you are in Edinburgh, for sure, let us know because we're trying to crack. We saw like 50 shows in like nine days. It was heavy. Um, but and a lot of those we didn't program, but a lot we did. So if you're up there, do kind of communicate that to the other venues and other festivals that you want to be at, because a lot of the time that's where we're going. Um, and it might also work similarly with Vault Festival. Make sure you're communicating with other programmers, because a lot of the time we'll have arts industry there or we'll have events where you'll meet them there. The they live it. We just we just feed off each other. <laughs> yeah. It's just this little cycle. Yeah. We even oh, I know the award we didn't talk about. We have the Pleasance to um, Vault and the Vault Pleasance Award, where what did they get a thousand pounds yeah. um, so it's vaults pick the pleasants and pleasants pick the vaults so it's one goes this way and then one goes that way and you get a thousand pounds on the way so that's fun 
for us, invites feed a lot less into direct programming, particularly if it's shows that are already on. For us, it's more about uh, R&Ds and um, readings are, are feed more into the programming. Um, but we also do go and see shows, um, particularly if you're writing to us saying, I'm a writer who uh, I really want you to see my work. I'm a director who's really interested in working with you and sort of anything that's like a showcase of your work. We're very, very happy to come and see things from that perspective. We will always prioritize um, seeing work that is by writers who have not yet had a full length debut because that obviously is our programming. Um, just to keep harking on about that, um, just because one of my um, top tips is very much like read the programming information on the website when you're submitting something because the amount of people who uh, don't and then submit us a, a musical and we don't program musicals or an adaptation and we don't program adaptations, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, um, back to the question. Um, yes, it invites feed less into our programming um, from sort of a show side, but um, are very much where I found a lot of um, producers that I've gone on to work with, a lot of directors, a lot of writers as well. Um, yeah, we did the show that we just had on recently, Zombie Gate, was a show that we got invited to go and see and ended up being programmed. So um, as an, as an R&D, we saw it as an R&D and then, and then ended up programming it. So um, yeah, pitch it. Make uh, Don't just sort of invite everyone to your show as well. Like know why you're inviting someone. Um, we have an invites form on our website, which is there for two reasons, partly so that I can kind of siphon everything into one easy google form where i can ac access all the info in one place um and it's not just emails jotting around everywhere but also we ask very specific questions like why are you inviting us what are you interested in you know why you why do you want us to come is it because you are interested in programming is it because you're interested in artist development is it because um you're interested in um you know other things um so yeah, be very specific about why you're inviting a venue to come and see your piece. Sounds like a great form. I think we need one. That's, that's the same <laughs> point. I'd encourage everyone in the room to invite less people, put more time into your ask for why. Yeah. Mm. Find um, out who you're asking, yeah. put the name in. Yeah. I, yeah there, I, when I was at the Arcola, the amount of times I was invited as the Almeida, but that is a bugbear that I would love to get over. But, but really it's about why. Um, invite half the theatres, but be specific. I, I, because I'm interested in this, that's something that you're interested in, and I'm looking for this. I'd always suggest also ask for multiple things in an email. So I'd like to see this because of this, this, or this. Or if you're having a meeting, I'd like this, this, and this. So most people that work in the theatre are really nice, mm -hmm. and we find it really difficult to say no to more than one request. <laughs> so if I get an email and say, will you see my play, give me a day for a reading, or I do a Zoom call to discuss my career, I'm like, I can't say no to all three. So I look forward to getting lots of emails into this. <laughs> For me, like, there's nothing that puts me off more than a BCC. If someone's invited me on a BCC, then I won't go. Like, to know why. To know, yeah, because if it just says, hi there, come see my show, BCC, that's not going to happen because I will, yeah, you think, okay, they've just sent this out to a whole mass, they've got a list from somewhere and they've just sent it out to everyone. But if it says, hi Adele, or hi, or even just hi Vault programming team, we love Vault, blah, 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 we want to do this, then I'm much more likely to come. And as you said, you feel a lot, worse saying no to a nice invite than to a kind of anonymous one so be as personal as you can and i i hate saying this because it gives me more work but don't be afraid sometimes to check in again because sometimes you email at a really busy time and sometimes it will just get lost i'm not saying email every three days but if you don't hear back once 
check back in in a week or two weeks because that does help sometimes we are just super busy not being ignored yeah polite persistence is absolutely fine yeah remember those you know, everyone's got that friend that they don't think is particularly talented but it's doing really well and it's yeah. usually because they schmooze or chase people up a lot yeah channel that person <laughs> and one final thing on invites um because this was a very useful question actually um is um give people plenty of time oh, yes. because we're all really really busy and I have to turn down things, more things, because they invite me two days before, that if they'd invited me a month before, I definitely would have been able to get there. So um, it's obviously really difficult because there's so many other things going on in your brain when you're leading up to an R&D or a performance or anything like that. But um, do take the time out to make sure that you're doing that in advance. And I think a month is perfect because sometimes when you get asked way too far in advance and you put it down your priority list, then if you ask two days, you don't go. So that kind of like, month or like five six weeks is me month three days ago that just said if i don't hear back from you in two weeks with your permission i'll kindly write back to you that prompted me to if i wasn't interested just tell them <laughs> or then there was an open door for them to write back they said as i promised you i'm now chasing to check whether you can come i was like thank you for checking back in that's excellent thanks for that so yeah don't be afraid polite persistence is yeah. absolutely fine amazing any other questions tom do you have any sort of tips or advice to get to more where you guys are as opposed to being a writer trying to get something on be that sort of going through like reading positions internships like you're saying those sort of those sort of things going on uh what would sort of be your advice to getting down those sort of paths to get into careers that is programming or producing things like that so what jobs specifically there's slightly different advice depending on the job yeah so i mean i mean at this point anything producing Uh, produce shows oh my god yeah yeah. (laughs) produce readings do one-nighters do a 10 minute scratch just produce as many things as you can okay i hope no yeah i won't go into my rant about them producing courses but just producing is the best way to learn how to produce yeah produce like and producing means anything don't get like as a producer myself who felt this fear don't be afraid of what producing means because it doesn't mean one thing like it might mean that you just write a funding application and you help do um some casting or it might be you're doing the whole complete thing just do the things that you can and then you're going to learn all the other things like don't be afraid thinking like i don't know what producing is i haven't done all these things so i can't do it just start somewhere and just ask like the only reason i got where i am is because at pleasance i said can i do this please can i do this other thing please oh i noticed this person's leaving for a bit can i do this um and then be good at your work so that they want you um but yeah advocate for yourself if you see like i advocated for a job at pleasance that it what that wasn't what the position was it was being run in a different way so i was like i have this experience from box office and i think it would be useful in this arts industry management and it makes more sense for me to do it and blah 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 so just look for those opportunities and try and make it but yeah it does help if you're in an organization which has those kind of different departments where you can ask favors from or shadow um and just kind of make friends and get close to people and just yeah just ask favors brits are way too polite they're waiting for someone to tell them that they're they're a thing yeah i said earlier about like you're a writer if you identify as a writer it's like just just tell us you're it we're not going to ask for a cv and full references (laughs) i spent five years not feeling like i could call myself a producer when i'd been producing for five years i was just like when am i allowed to have this title um just take it just like take it and own it um once 
once you feel like you know you've you've done some of those things and if you're a writer who's putting on their own work you're probably doing already already doing all of those things that you need to do in order to be a producer um obviously like i mentioned before we we run a trainee scheme at 503 for people who are wanting to get into producing and lots of people um are often coming from uh the background of uh coming from being an artist or wanting to produce their own work or wanting to help realizing that what they really love is actually supporting other people's work to happen um so there's that um i think i probably share your view on producing courses um which the tra- traineeship is not it is on the job like you will learn as you go canva it just oh, solves everything you'll be fine you'll just figure it out and the amount of people that i speak to and i speak to um, particularly early career producers who just say, oh, I just feel like I've, I've haven't done it properly yet because I've just done it by myself and I've just figured it out as I'm going. And I'm like, what do you think we're all doing, babe? <laughs> Literally, that's my life is just figuring it out as we go. And I, I wish there was a magical like, and one day we'll ma- wave the magic wand and you'll feel like you know what you're doing. Um, but that never happens. So yeah, that's probably not very good advice, but it's just general, general life knowledge. Um, but yeah. Programming, it's interesting point about reading as well. I'd say I say this to a lot of directors as well is read lots of new plays so i think a lot of um, no matter what you're doing whether you're producing whether you're writing whether you're read new plays and try to work and try and separate in your brain is this a good play and whatever that empirical there is no empirical good play but do i think this is a good play and why versus is this a play i think i can do something with specifically for directors this is uh, i think it's a real kind of push which is great which a lot of directors are coming with great concepts but they're thinking about the concept they can impose onto both new and text rather than what works in the bones of the play and i think a lot of that's the programming point as well and programming i look at so many theaters websites and just try and work out who i think their audience is and every time a season comes out, I try and work out who's the audience for each of these shows. Um, so that's the way I work backwards into programming. Um, and if you want to come and read lots of new scripts, um, we are often recruiting for um, readers. Um, that It's generally a voluntary thing. And then we have paid positions um, around the Playwriting Award as well. So that's a really good place that we get thousands of new scripts um, a, a year. So it's a very good place to come and um, read lots of new plays. I think one this is a very basic piece of advice, but I say it all the time when people ask me about producing, it's just be as nice as you can to everyone because you have no idea when you're going to meet them again or what they can do for you. Like, don't be a pushover, advocate for yourself and be confident, but just be nice. Like, it's just going to help you at the time. You have no idea when it's going to help you. And there's so, it like, jobs in theatre are so kind of incestuous which is a a pro and a con but you're gonna come across people that you've seen before in just even if you're working at a bar like I worked in box office just before the Pleasance like just I don't know what you call it a box office lackey for a long time and I met so many people that I've now met again throughout my career and I've gotten so many of my producing gigs and different things through people I've met along the way so just try and be memorable and is nice like that kind of nice persistence just keep that going and be 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 a generally good human being and people will remember you for that and do reach out to people as well to ask for advice like um I know I know so many people say that they reach out to 10 people and they get one response but that's still that's, that's still that's a pretty yeah. good strike rate it is like um I, I I remember one of my one of my old colleagues um literally reached out 
to say I'm really interested in, in kind of getting into production and um, you know could, could I go for coffee with you and we went for coffee and then we ended up working together for four years um, and she was like we've we've only like you're the you're the first person who's like got back to me um, but people do get back um, and they do you know like like Nick said generally people working in theatre are really nice people um, and I I think that trick of kind of ask for three things and and you know we'll 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 feel like we have to offer one of them ask people yeah be be specific about what you're asking for again it's the same as programming know why you're asking someone for their particular advice what is it that they've done in their career that you're like oh that's really interesting i really want a piece of that and i think remember that a rejection isn't necessarily the end of a relationship if you're if you're as, as i said as nice as you can and engaged and obviously you've done your research even if we can't give you what you want this time will remember who you are and maybe the next thing will think oh that's that person that I had that meeting with or I read the play for but it wasn't quite right but I remember them they were nice I'm gonna give them this other shot so don't think of it as just a shutdown and don't go back to that avenue again like you've made yourself known so that's that was even if it didn't end up in what you wanted it was a conversation so it's not a no it's a not now it's something that someone told me once which I've really held on to (laughs) any other questions yes if you like just talk a bit more about what that entails and also if it's worth applying as like a producer with a producing company or if it needs to be an artist-led company yep uh so it's uh, it's very bespoke which usually means it means lots of different things depending who it is so we work with writers directors performers companies Producers, we have two. Every kind of cohort we've had at least one kind of producing entity, whether that's an independent producer working under an umbrella. So we do work with kind of everyone across the kind of spectrum of um, creative arts. It, it works towards it's a two-year program. The first year is kind of getting to know you, trying to work out what it is you want to do, and the second year we try to do something. So I know there's lots of um, other programs that are brilliant, but you don't end up doing much. So we try and focus on the second year, making something, staging something, raising some money for something, writing something, presenting something. So in the form, I'm pretty sure it still asks you for a bit of an idea of what it is you'd like to develop over that associateship. So it's who are you uh, and then what is it that you're looking to develop? And then we will try and match that with what we're thinking of where we want to go with the program over the next year, two years, really. Um, again, a lot of people say, well, I don't have a huge track record. What do I write? And you can just tell me the shows that are similar, artists you like, anything that gives a flavour of who you are. Um, any kind of work you've done, it doesn't need to be like, it's what I'm not expecting my Bruce Norris to see. So just give me a flavour of who you are, and that's more important than 10 really like credits. It's who you are and a flavour of that, and the kind of work you want to make, why that's important and who you want to make it for. I'm really obsessed with who you want to make your work for. So I don't think we actually think enough in the theatre. For the only art form that needs people to watch it, I don't think we think a huge amount about who those people are that are watching it. Um, so that's kind of one of my things over the next year is to think more about and talk more to artists about who they want watching their show. Any other questions? Another specific question for Carrie um, about Theatre 503, what does a full professional run mean? Oh, very good question. Um, so you can't have had a play on for more than three weeks that ran for over 65 minutes. So Edinburgh shows don't count as in if you've had a show on at Edinburgh, because they generally tend to be an hour and um, yeah, four weeks, then that's fine. That's why it's 65 minutes and not 60 specifically for Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, so... Um, yeah, yeah, that's 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 how we that's how we define it. Um, also, 
there's been there's kind of some gray areas but um if you've had for example like a two-week run somewhere but then you've gone off and had like a national tour then we would say you're a launched playwright you don't need us is essentially kind of how we view it and also because people come to 503 for those first plays for those you know the first play from this voice that's what we're you know known for and that's what we're particularly looking for so yeah amazing yes um, do you put artists and creatives need to have a strong like social media or digital presence? Is that something that you would consider, or is that something that's important with Redmark? Like, Never Googled it, I'm sure it's probably a good thing. <laughs> 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 if you got one, great, but uh, we wouldn't look at it and go, God, if they had 20 more theatre and Twitter followers, we'll get we'll, we'll program that. Yeah, I feel like it's not important for programming, but it's important for selling not your selling show. Tickets, so. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah, it really helps, but it would never stop me from programming a play, for example. Um, and also a lot of people these days are just not on social media at all, um, which is a very respectful choice. More power to you. Um, I wish I could do the same. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not something that would ever be a be a red flag. Just also thinking about them, how else do you engage with the community or audience? Um, so do you want to talk about that? Is it through networks you're involved in? Is it through kind of, uh, relationships with creatives? There are lots of other ways, and I think sometimes default to social media is how we connect and promote. But there are far more powerful and engaging ways. So if you've got a great following, great. Amazing. Any last questions? But um, in terms of if you wanted to go into sort of um, producing or reading and the other sort of job that I was sort of curious on, but didn't have to touch on it now if you want, but like literary departments sort of work. Um, how often, like how difficult is it to balance trying to be sort of a writer and a playwright and doing your own thing whilst also working for like a venue or a company or um, just a general institution as a sort of in that position and then having a completely separate? Or is there a lot of bleed over and that's where sort of opportunities come up? Or is it better to keep them sort of at arm's length from each other while still keeping contact with everyone in between? And that might be really generic or really specific. I was going to say that's that's really that's really hard. I think it really depends on the same on, on the on the person. Um, yeah, we we have a literary we have a literary department of two, um, but two very brilliant people. And then sort of the team of volunteer readers um, and a few other and, uh, and senior readers. Um, and I would say the question of can you still be an artist whilst facilitating other people's work and art? I think. I, I I feel like you can. I feel like it's a lot to balance, though. And I feel like you would need to find the right position within the right company um, that makes that, that balance is right for you in terms of like how much time you want to put into that into that into your work, especially if you get to a point where you're you're being your play is being programmed and it's the first time it's been programmed it's a new play and you're going to be wanting to be in the rehearsal room and sort of seeing that process through um are you going to be able to do that whilst you're balancing um a, another role is it is an open question because i feel like it probably also really depends on the venue uh, but like we're very very flexible as a team like um we all we all go off and do sort of other projects um lisa our artistic director just went off and directed wagatha christie in the west end um which is the 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 true life um wagatha christie trials on stage absolutely bonkers not 
so removed from 503 in so every way. Um, but, you know, like... Technically an adaptation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not even an adaptation. It is, it is the script's word for... It's the actual court case word for word. So it's, it's, it's verbatim, actually. It's technically verbatim. Uh, anyway, so, so we're a very flexible team and, and because we... Um, yeah, we uh, yeah we we all have different things that we go off and do as well, and I know a lot of places that are like that. But um, I, yeah, I feel like it's that's a really tough question to answer because I feel like it very much depends on, you know, what it is, um, what 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 it is that you're kind of looking to do at the same time. So, I don't think it's impossible though, but a lot of hard work. Yeah, um, from my experience of being a producer and also having a full time job, it can be a lot and I've had to learn to say no a lot more than I wanted to because I thought I would want to take all of the opportunities and still work as hard as a producer as I could whilst trying to also hold down a salary job and it's just not feasible because then you end up not doing your projects justice and then I, I don't want to be seen as a you know an inept producer that's going exactly against what I'm trying to do so it's about balancing it I think a lot of the time Depending on where you work, if you go in there when you're having your first conversations about your job and say, these, these are the things I'm interested in, this is what I might like to take, you know, three, four weeks unpaid leave off to do at some time, or I, you know, I want to go up to Edinburgh and work at Pleasance for the summer and then a lot of places will be flexible with you and I think it is becoming more and more normalized to be able to do that so have those kind of conversations up front rather than just trying to cram it all in um, and not doing either justice um, so just kind of be realistic with your time but do talk to your job or your employer or whoever you're working with about trying to fit those in at appropriate times so you can focus on them separately. Yeah, I think most uh, organisations appreciate more employing people both for the job they do because they're creative beings and have a practice outside. Mm. Um, we've got an ex-marketing manager that's now quite a successful playwright, wrote their first play. We appreciate they'll leave at some point, hopefully, because they got really successful. Um, I've directed shows what's working at the place. I personally wouldn't do it again because I found it way too stressful to be both responsible for is the show selling and was it any good? Um, but that I would happily direct outside of where I'm currently working, but I probably wouldn't do it. I wouldn't shoot around eating again, so. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all me. <laughs> Amazing. Any final questions before we wrap this up? Oh, last one. Um, were you saying that it's like a lot more appealing to have, like, to approach programmers with like a fully formed like company, like a really tight idea that like, you've got everything like sorted? Like, is it worth taking the time before you start applying to things to like make sure that like everything's in place and you've got a full team and like everything's and really food. slick or depends which theatre so there's generally in the UK two types of theatres. So receiving theatres who are looking for a, a production proposal, including a team, <coughs> they're not going to produce that show for you, but they'll program and stage it. And then you'll have producing theatres. So Theatre Biopathy is kind of in the middle. Both of us are pretty much receiving theatres. So the receiving theatre will want a script, a team, a funding plan, a bit of a package. If it's a, a producing theatre like Bush, the Royal Court, they'll just be looking for your script. So it's working out which theatre and knowing which theatre it is. I get so many emails going, would you produce our show? And like, we're not a producing theatre. So doing that time, it's the same thing with um, less emails. It's taking that list of every theatre and just picking 10, knowing those theatres really well, knowing how they work. Most of that information is online in their programming proposals and then just targeting the right information to the right type of theatre. Yeah, so as Nick said, we're sort of in the middle um and that we do both productions and co-productions and so we accept proposals from um 
as I said, with the unsolicited portal, just writers um, and people who don't have a team attached. And then also from a co-production perspective, that's people who are writer with a director and a producer or sometimes, you know, just one of those things coming to us with, you know, the, the show as a bit more of a package. Um, there is still very much like I said, we program a year in advance at least. So um, we are also not expecting everyone to have absolutely everything in one in, in at the point of um, applying because we're imagining that they're looking later on. Um, that's for the three-week runs specifically. With the shorter runs, it's a, it's a much shorter time scale. It's probably closer to six months, sometimes even less when things get a bit squeaky. Um, but and, and and in that case, it, that is very much like a yes. You you know what the show is, and it's and it's ready to go. So it really it really depends on what it is that you're applying to and what venue, what particular programming strands. You know, like I said, we have a few. So again, it's just about doing your research. Even for us, the festivals, it's as much as possible. Sometimes it'll just be a script and maybe a director. Sometimes it'll be here's the full package. Yeah. You, you were a little bit earlier. We're a little bit earlier. So we, we're, with the actual work, I feel like we don't need it to be a fully realised script or have a recording of it, etc. But I think the team-wise, if there's too many TBCs or you haven't thought about it or you haven't listed that you're looking for a producer, like if if, if you're just going to say you're self-producing and it's clear that you don't have any, any you know, you're doing a lot, of the, like you said earlier, like if you're trying to do all of the workload yourself, that is definitely a red flag. So even if you don't have the team members, if you kind of lay out what your team structure is going to be and just talk a little bit about the connections you might have, or even if you just like, I'm not saying lie, but if you say expected, like it's someone that he's worked with before and you're having conversation with them. The arts council straight away. My, my creative team don't is lie. expected. Yeah, but honestly, but if, you, if you've thought about, if, you, if there's someone you're thinking about and you're having conversations, I'd rather you put it in there than just forget to put it in. And I think, oh, they're not even thinking about they're a designer yeah like what how they've got a design-led show but they haven't even listed anyone they're talking to that's a red flag what designers like directors like people like so we've got a set for people yeah, exactly. kind of style. Yeah. yeah it depends where you're applying which is the tricky bit mm -hmm. i'd always just get all the theaters you want to work out and start researching how they work and what kind of work they're looking for is it going to be scripted going to propose or what early careers and then work out five theaters you really want to work out and focus all your energy on that it's really easy to scan. There's like 175 theatres in London. Like, it's insane. So make your life easier by being more specific and more targeted in who you're approaching. And don't be afraid to just ask us about that if you want to know about it. I'd say maybe try and be a little bit smart and ask us in a less busy period. But... It's something that we like to talk about our venues and we like to talk about our work. So if you want to get a better understanding of the venue because you think it might be a good fit, you can just ask for the coffee that you hate. I mean, I love it because I can say, yes, come to my office, which is now a cafe and a bar. So <laughs> it's literally great. So I just pop upstairs. I love I love a coffee day. Um, so you can ask me for a coffee, not Nick. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to ask. It, yeah, as I said before, even if we don't have the time then I've thought oh this person's thought about us they've asked and next time and I'll feel bad I'll feel guilty and then I'll see you at vault and then I'll have the coffee <laughs> Amazing. Um, I think we're going to wrap this panel up. Thank you again, Carrie, Adele, and Nick. This was, I, I know I'm feeling inspired after that. So let's give a warm thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed hosting it.
If you're a theater maker who's looking to fund their show or get advice, please head to greenlit.com to learn more about what we can offer or check us out across social media at Greenlit Fund. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more exciting events from Greenlit.